Hey everyone, welcome to Damage Assessment, a podcast and interview series where we dive into some of the trending topics in the digital frontier of gaming and advertising guided by experts in our space. The goal of these podcasts is to inform our listeners and viewers on unique business opportunities and how to stand out in the very white hot space of advertising, gaming, and beyond so that your brand can do it right. This episode, I'm joined by Rick Morellis. He's the Executive Creative Director for Square Enix. And Square Enix is one of the world's largest video game publishers based in Japan and founded in 1975. I'm sure most of you have heard of this AAA gaming publisher. They're mostly known, and if you haven't, they're mostly known for their game titles like Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy, and Kingdom Hearts, which we know you've all heard of those. Rick, thanks so much for joining us for our Damage Assessment Podcast. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. All right. So to kick off, Rick, please introduce yourself, including what your roles and responsibilities are. Yeah. So uh, Ricardo Morales, as you mentioned, I, I do go by uh, by Rick, just shortened. I am the ECD at Square. It's, um, it is a new role for the company. And as such, I, I have kind of like a dual, dual role and uh, remit. I, one of those is I oversee the internal creative department across uh it's kind of split between la and london and and the other side of it is i work with the brand and marketing teams on multiple fronts really creative strategy uh agency relationships um creative development creative direction i'm, I'm kind of like the go-to in-house creative consultant if you will when they have questions whether it's from budget to who should we work with to how do you think this looks so it's yeah, it's kind of kind of runs the quite the gamut. Nice. Um, so so damage and I a little backstory too. Damage and I have been working with Square Enix for years, and and Rick is probably one of the one of the most humble individuals. Um, he glossed over this fact, but he is the very first ECD at at Square Enix, and he built the you know all the parameters and guidelines. Which for folks in the audience who have built anything or entrepreneurs, they understand how how difficult that is. When you're blazing trails so so most people would agree rick that the path to success isn't a clean straight line going from point a the onset of anyone's professional lives to this point b the current point of their career but rather it's more of a a very messy squiggly line right and there are both successes and failures involved which make us who we are today what are several pivotal moments in your career before Square Enix that steered you to fill this very coveted ECD role at one of the top AAA game publishers in the world? Man, that's a yeah, that's a tough one. It's it's been in in many ways, I think the the largest hurdles or challenges to overcome, I think, have been internal, if if I'm being honest. I I'm sure anyone in, in the creative field can maybe relate to just how how passionate and fiery we can be. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely no exception to that. Um, going back to my my very first agency agency job, you know, just there's there's an emotional intelligence, right, that, that you acquire as you as you grow and learn in your career, as you sharpen your creative skills. Um, I think a really, really big turning point for me was when I arrived at Blizzard Entertainment uh, in late 2012, 2013. Um, 
just the culture and the way the company operated and, and the team dynamic, decision-making, it, it really was a humbling experience for me. Um, and I think I, I grew the most in, in that particular area of like emotional intelligence and you know, decorum and focus and acumen and, and such. I think that's probably one of the biggest um, areas outside of that, of course, is um, you know, just adapting to the constant change, right? The high pace environment that we're, we're always a part of. It's just part of our, um, you know, industry and disciplines. So it's, it's kind of been a mix of that, but I think, yeah, to summarize, maybe the, the highlight has been really the personal, uh, you know, adapting or adaptability to, to those conditions as they change, I think has been the biggest hurdle to overcome. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned, you know, you were very transparent and vulnerable saying it's probably more internal, you know, internal with, with the company that you're with, because we all know behind the smoke and mirrors, whatever, how, whatever company it is, there's some, there's some strife and things that pe people need to work out, but also internal inside of you. And I think people underestimate, especially maybe more the younger folks, um, you know, older Gen Z, younger millennials, um, that emotional intelligence in a job is so is so highly valuable. I'm still working on it, and I'm not a Gen Z or millennial, and and you probably are too. Um, but I want to know. So that that's very interesting. Um, can you describe a creative activation or success you've been involved with at Square Enix that was incredibly gratifying to you? And and your emotional intelligence and your expertise in the field all came together in this in this one, you know, whether it's a recent success or even over the last decade um, where you remember it and it was very gratifying. Yeah, there's been, you know, it, it's uh, there's there's been a few uh, to highlight, you know, we we had that that really great collaboration with with Sia um, and Final Fantasy 14 online, right? The uh, Fly Me to the Moon music video was was such a fantastic initiative and, and undertaking. Um, that's that's a project that that I stepped into to support. That was not you know that was not my my idea or, or initial thought. Um, but I was you know I was I was asked to to kind of join the the team there and and lend a hand if you will. And it was you know it it it, it wasn't without its challenges. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you know to to your question of how emotional intelligence may have played a part on that. I, I mean, it really just comes down to how you how you look at challenges, right? When they present themselves, and challenges could be you know missing a missing a milestone, right? Or I don't know, the models aren't behaving you know the way you need them to, and you know whether it's in the game engine or it's Maya or whatever, right? Like it, it's it's how you it's how you adapt to those situations. And I think for me, the, the, the connection, you know, to, to what I had established earlier is that you just, you, you kind of, um, you kind of have to be solutions focused, right? I, I tend to tell my teams like picture, picture those obstacles, like really like stepping in a puddle. You can either stand in the puddle, right? While still in the puddle, and be mad your sneakers are dirty how the why is there even a puddle here like you could just do that right you could just take a couple steps forward and get out of the puddle and then maybe 
later look back at how to fix that or if you were on your way somewhere first continue that and then you can go back to it right so um, I think that that project and anyone that's worked on anything related to CG will know that it always comes with its challenges. Um, this project was no different, but it was so amazing to see it go live and and to I mean, my goodness, to to work with an artist like Sia was was incredible. Um, also on 14 uh, related 14, we, we did this really wonderful uh, live action campaign uh, to promote the free trial uh, last year and just that coming to life was was also extremely gratifying you know to to kind of move us forward into a, a an upcoming title with forespoken just being involved with the team and supporting the team through like visual identity development uh the reveal of of the logo the game logo the animation for that that was it's like it's, it's much smaller right than a large campaign but just that animation sequence of the logo reveal was something that was just it was beautifully executed and and it's, it's just really rewarding right so sometimes those rewards can be tiny and sometimes they can be huge but it's all you know i, I geek out equally over anything creative i love it so so just i want to just um touch upon those three examples so the first one was where were you, where were you at with sia was that with Blizzard or Square Enix? No, so uh, that's all three. All three have been here at, at uh, Square Enix. Uh, Blizzard it. was so my my focus at Blizzard was Overwatch. So I worked on I was on the publishing side, and I was somewhat of a uh, you know I kind of ended up in in like this also somewhat first of its kind role, which was I was a little bit of like a a foreign ambassador, if you will, right? So I, I was kind of this bridge between the, the development team and the publishing side uh, for Overwatch, uh, the, the game product, and then moving into Overwatch League um, as, you know, as CD, I was, I was really just humbly uh, a part of building that league, you know, and uh, establishing the same thing, visual identity and branding and working on the branding for the teams and then the expansions. I personally contributed to five of the teams, uh, Mark Designs and Uniforms, working with Jeff Staple. That was another really, really exciting initiative is the redesign and relaunch uh, of, of the uh, the player kits with you know someone like Jeff Staple. That was just like incredible. Amazing. So at Blizzard, and then I'm gonna to return to Square Enix, um, examples, but at Blizzard, what were those five teams? Overwatch. I'm a huge fan. People that see our see Damage of Assessment podcast are huge fans. Uh, let's see. So, let's see if I can remember. So on Dallas Fuel, I designed the flame. Uh, okay. The word mark was was designed by uh, one of the uh, members of the dev team, Jeremy Craig, and um, I worked on the uh, the Philadelphia logo. I worked on the um, the Toronto Defiant, same the icon, the uh, no sorry the icon was done by one of one of the designers on my team. I did the word mark for the Toronto Defiant. Um, let's see what I I've got to pull these up now because uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just curious because I love we you know we we're a creative agency at Damage so everybody's very very enthusiastic, particularly our killer creative team and our, and our, um, you know, chief commercial, chief creative officer. 
and brand identity is really some of the work that we do. So I'm just excited to, to go look back at these logos now that you said you had a hand in it. So it and was Florida Mayhem. Awesome. Mayhem, okay. Florida Mayhem, uh, the Boston Uprising, Shanghai Dragons were, were the other three. So those were the ones that I was, uh, that I personally played a part in. I did the, the Uprising, actually all three of those last mentioned were in entirely obviously let me first say it was a team effort a lot of people contributed ideas of and course. such but you know it it was kind of a it was a really cool you know it, it took me back to the agency days of like it was like that healthy competition of like whose logo is going to get selected to then move forward right so that's what i mean by like i did those three not that i didn't work as part of a team sure oh, i love it man that's congratulations that's that's a huge yeah. um and then before we move to the next one, I just wanted to clarify, you mentioned, so you mentioned the Square Enix initiatives were, were SIA, um, and that was um, Fly Me to the Moon. What, what, uh, what game was that? That was Final Fantasy XIV Online. Got it. Okay. And then, and then the second example you gave was Forspoken, which, which um, just was just released, right? Or released recently. No, no, no. It, Last it year? launched. It was announced. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. It, it hasn't launched, but um, yeah. So for that one, it was the uh, the the logo reveal last year. Okay, uh, that was a, a fun undertaking. Awesome. And Forspoken, which is one of Square Enix's huge titles, particularly this year. Does it launch this year in Q4 or November? -ish? No. Uh, was it pushed? January. Yeah, it pushed recently. Okay, that's exciting. Cool. Um, okay, so in what ways? Um, because there's so many ways to look at creative and it's such a broad term, right? When what ways is creative in marketing, not necessarily in-game art or whatnot, but in marketing influence the overall success of a game in your opinion? So for example, Forspoken, um, how, would, how, do you, how do you see this killer creative work in the logo and the brand identity and, and all of the creative assets on the marketing side influence the the actual success of the game when it launches like i i think i'll i'll take a step back for a second right and i think just in general terms um creative marketing plays plays a significant you know part and role as as part of a launch initiative right with with gaming uh, i mean and it's true with entertainment properties overall but i think with games right it's part of what the experience itself offers right once people get their hands on the sticks and they get to feel it and write it, that, that goes a long way. I think, you know, creative, creative marketing is, is that, is that entry point to the story, right? And it's a story in and of itself that is derived from, you know, from the game experience, right? And, and in, in the successful, uh, thoughtful approaches, it is connected in some way to it, right? Um, I think that's that's where we all perceive the difference between like salesy type of marketing and like really thoughtful, immersive, creative marketing, right? I think it plays a really big part. Um, I'll I'll use cyberpunk as an example. You know, cyberpunk, in my opinion, did a fantastic job. You know, their their visual identity was on point. Like for those of us that are very like, you know, very purists in terms of typography and visual identity and consistency and all those things like they did a fantastic job I you know I, I couldn't encounter anyone who when when I asked them like what do you think of cyberpunk when I just say that and they said yellow <laughs> right that that's like uh -huh. really successful right it's no different than coca-cola and people go red mm -hmm. um, 
that that's important, right? That starts to connect you. Sometimes it's very upfront, right? And conscious. And sometimes it's very subconscious. And uh, I think with, with um, cyberpunk, you know, that the CG trailer, right? The, the stories, the, the gameplay, like that whole package comes together to, to create, um, you know, it, it's an impression. It, it does, it does, you know, in a positive way, influence your perception. Uh, Blizzard has done a fantastic job, right? I mean, who of us in the gaming world as gamers or part of the industry didn't like geek out at just their next cinematic, right? Like I think everyone has geeked out at their cinematics, right? Riot is doing a fantastic job right now with their use of music. In my opinion, they do a lot of things really well, but for me, like, what what I paid really close attention is just their use of music, right? They have a, almost a sonic brand that is woven into their creative marketing that is really exciting. So that to me starts to kind of create that foundation for culture and community, right? Again, some people recognize it and they'll say, oh, that, co that yellow color that Cyberpunk is using is really cool. It's bold. Some people consciously note that. Not everyone does. Others just align with the brand right that's that emotional connection where it just feels cool it taps into cool culture as we say and it feels authentic and you know brand partnerships and you know and sometimes people can't really put a finger on it but to me it's that creative marketing it, it creates that story that story that builds culture absolutely and i love that you brought up music too because you know again creative reaches so many different facets and music we well, just mentioned you know damage mentioned the other day on linkedin that grammys is is having um an actual best original score in a video game that will be a grammy category now which is amazing um but thank you for and i i 100 concur obviously you know i i, I own a, a a creative agency that focuses on gaming esports and streaming so of course i i, I agree but literally that that's that's what we do and and i think people Either they they don't realize how how big creative is influencing their what games they gravitate to. Either they don't realize it, or or they do and appreciate it. Actually, yeah. So you're you're known. You're very much known. I mean, obviously, you can just hear it in the way you talk. You're known to have a passion for gaming. You've been in the industry um, almost your entire career, or a big significant part of it, and and for sharing your learnings and your experience with the next generation of creatives. Can you tell us how you're choosing to mentor young, younger individuals coming up in our space? Mentorship is, so like, I don't, I don't necessarily choose. Um, it, this might be a strange connection, but from my point of view, like mentorship starts in similar ways that therapy does, right? It starts with the individual wanting to learn realizing that there are gaps right possibly depending on their you know level of experience that they want to fill uh sometimes it's it it starts with you know with being inspired by something that someone did and then you want to learn more about it and then that can evolve but it, it really starts with with the individuals uh the those who have chosen me <laughs> to to hopefully you know knock on wood hopefully learn something from uh, they've they've approached me and and it's been you know and it isn't like hey I want you to be my mentor right I will learn everything don't get me wrong I get I get DMs like that sometimes on on LinkedIn and 
unfortunately, many times it's, I think they misunderstand my role in the game industry and everything's very dev driven. It's like, oh, I don't develop games, right, per se. It's right. a different aspect of, of that process. Um, but it's, it's very, or it's very organic. Um, I think that the area where, you know, where I perhaps get a little selective, if you will, or, or it starts to really influence kind of from my point of view, where that relationship can and can't go is disposition, right? Like disposition is huge. In other words, it's, it's that it's that sort of cliche of like, you can't teach someone who doesn't want to be taught. And mentorships aren't always like there's a checklist of subjects like asking a university professor, right? Like, how do I do this? The way you do this is that, like, it's really not. And I'll be honest with you, like there's there's something that, you know, by the way, this is like the first of these sorts of interviews that I've really done. I'm a really private person in this regard. And, and the reason for that is like, I have this like aberration towards coming off like I have all this shit figured out because I don't right like I myself am constantly learning researching studying like whether it's what I don't want to do what I do want to do so how that relates to mentorship is like if the approach if it's clear to me that they're just they just have like this list of like just want to like take notes and it's like an interview right like that's not a successful mentorship from my point of view right like for me it's like I learn as much from the people that I work with as they learn from me, right? Because um, I don't have the answers. And sometimes I'm asked with, you know, I'm, I'm presented with scenarios or questions that I really don't know. And I never shy from saying, you know, I actually don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, dude. Like, I don't know that anyone does. Or we figure things out together. So there, there are a lot of factors that go into it. It's, I mean, it's like, it's like other relationships, right? I, I, I know I have these situations sometimes where, you know, my, my wife will say like, oh, let's go over and meet the new neighbors, right? And okay, right? And and right away what happens, right? It's like, oh, you know, he's into this just like you or she's into that just like you. And we think that, oh, okay, great. We're best friends now. No, right? There's like an almost like an intangible kind of chemistry that is either there or not there. And it's no different in mentorships, right? You, you kind of have to- Great analogy. You know, kind of build from it, I, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, yeah, that was the perfect analogy. Uh, my wife and I have the, the, the same conversations as well. Luckily, she's really good at picking our, our couple friends. <laughs> uh, okay, now we're going to move into the final segment. This is called Damage Per Second. It's a speed interview with three to five. Eh, we're going to do five fun facts. Oh boy. Um, so um, just answer however you'd like, and uh, we'll just move through this. Um, if you could only play one game for the rest of your life, what would it be? Doom. Doom. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Uh, providing creative direction on brown uh, napkins. What does that mean? <laughs> that That's always kind of been my, I mean, not so much now because everything is in these little boxes, right, on Zoom. But um my my team at Blizzard uh, always laughed and gave me shit because I would just grab a napkin and they happen to be like the brown, you know, napkins. I would just grab nap napkins and that's how I was like, oh, look, something like this or if I was getting fever. So it was always like people had like these brown napkins with my doodles on them everywhere. <laughs> I love that. And that's something, you know, that's that's 
infamous of people in the bar where these great ideas come to light and, and on napkins, but I love I didn't it. say they were great ideas. I never said they were great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> if money was no object, what would be your dream restaurant to eat at? It, it would either be at uh, just a, a local mom and pop in, in Guanajuato, where I'm from in Mexico, um, or to go to the other side of the world, it, it'd be um, it'd be a place in Paris. There's a great little cafe called Obladi in Paris. Ooh, good answers. Yeah. Uh, what was the name of the, the city in Mexico where you were born? I was born in Leon, Guanajuato. Okay, very yeah. cool. Um, if you could go back and give your 18-year-old Rick Morales self one piece of advice, uh, what would it be? Shut up and listen. Oh, good one. <laughs> and then finally, if you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would you choose? Jean-Michel Basquiat. Tell me more. He's my favorite artist, and I, I would have loved to just spend time with him and like not even ask questions, just hang out one day and just kind of see, see where it all went and what, what he was like and yeah. Soak in the brilliance. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode of Damage Assessment. We hope you found this information insightful and we appreciate your time. And thank you, Rick Morales, for doing some damage today and sharing <laughs> your valuable thoughts and expertise. Square Enix has several massive upcoming game launches, including Forspoken in January 2023, as well as Final Fantasy 16. And for interested creatives and creators, feel free to reach out to Rick through his LinkedIn regarding um, mentorship. Um, also, if you have any further questions about how your brand can better position itself to consumers through gaming, esports, and streaming, or you just like more industry insights, feel free to reach out to me at Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y at damagecreative.com or visit damagecreative.com and sign on to our uh, digital newsletter. So thank you, Rick. And thank you everyone for watching our Damage Assessment podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye, Rick.